Welcome to Medical Minefield, the podcast where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Barney Kalman. And I'm Eve Simmons. We are health journalists, which means we spend our lives asking tough questions to top experts so you don't have to. This week, we're talking about clean eating and whether it was just a bunch of harmless recipes or pernicious dietary advice that triggered a raft of eating disorders. As ever, we'd like to know what you think. So if you have a question for us at Medical Minefield, tweet us at MedMinefield. Now, Eve, there's been, let's say, conversations uh, this this week or these last few weeks mm. about clean eating again, that old, old chestnut that <laughs> never seems to die. Everyone thought it had disappeared in 2017, but... Here it is again. And specifically whether influencers needed to fess up to their role in the whole thing and perhaps, you know, publicly apologise for part in what is is generally perceived to be a damaging trend. Now, I think probably to recap on what clean eating is, what, what is clean eating? Clean eating is a social media trend. It was a social media trend that kind of rose to prominence, I'd say, around 2012 2013 until around 2016 and it's not exactly clean eating tm i mean many of these influencers wouldn't have have called it that no it basically means ridding your diet of anything that's processed but some influencers ended up going further and saying that to be fully clean you'd have to stop eating what we would think of as staple ingredients like Mm. dairy products for instance a lot of uh, carbohydrates that have gluten in them Um, the whole gluten-free thing gluten-free sugar-free well refined sugar-free fun-free which is (laughs) exactly (laughs) fat-free obviously (laughs) No, actually, I think clean eaters liked fats, didn't they? Because they liked avocados. So, yeah, basically, nothing processed. Everything has to be whole and made from scratch. Lots of vegetables, lots of fruit, lots of IBS symptoms. Sounds great. Mm. And not something that I'd be particularly keen on following myself. But many, many young women were very beguiled by Mm. this, weren't Mm. they? And I suppose it's worth mentioning that, as with all these kind of social media trends, they're attached to very attractive people. So you think, I mean, the message really to me is so-and-so says, I don't eat gluten, it made me bloated and feel icky, I don't eat dairy, or it's, you know, not good for you, or sugar, it's inflammatory. And there's a picture of them looking very slim, gorgeous, Mm. And they also happen to be very successful. Uh, A lot of them are from quite wealthy backgrounds, very privileged, and seem to be able to, you know, not earn a living and just set up a blog or an Instagram page. How nice. And, you know, if you follow their advice, you can be like them. It's aspirational. Mm, Absolutely. But there was a downside. I mean, on the whole, I mean, I know countless people that that dabbled with these faddy types of Mm. diets. And it's, you know, I mean, so what? But there is a downside. And that's something that you've been long concerned with for personal reasons. Yes. For the majority of people, I'm sure, clean eating type diets probably you do it for a couple of weeks decide that it tastes all tastes horrible and you just really want some chips and you stop but for some people who may be vulnerable to eating disorders or other mental health problems embarking on a diet that's incredibly restrictive and involves taking out huge portions of what you would usually eat Mm. i mean even just the whole sugar-free thing 
is incredibly restrictive, isn't it? I mean, we did articles back in the day mm. when it was it was the trend, and uh, you know, it, it's it's really hard to if you to actually cut... want to cut all sugar from your diet because it means no baked beans, which would ruin my life. <laughs> I know, but you know, a little bit of sugar. The kind of most sensible dietitians will tell you the tiniest bit of sugar if you're also getting you know some good nutrients. Not that sugar is bad, but if you're getting other nutrients, I should say, then it's worth it's worth that tiny little bit of sugar. I always think the most bonkers thing about the sugar-free thing mm. was that they also endlessly had recipes with, you know, mashed dates honey. or honey or like that wasn't sugar. It's the same it's thing. All sugar or coconut sugar. Oh, co- oh yeah, coconut sugar. Not sugar. Or brown rice, brown rice syrup. Oh, and brown rice is is okay, but white rice is not. And right. wholemeal flour is okay, but white flour is not. Anyway, I digress. You I... can't eat any flour if you're gluten-free. Oh, that's true. Oh, Coconut flour? Oh, yeah, you can do that. Oh, I've had it before. It's not very nice. Would you like some psyllium husk? <laughs> <laughs> Ishvega? I don't know what these words are you're saying. <laughs> I've never said them out loud. Oh. I've seen them written down, though. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I was one of the people who was a very loyal fan of clean-eating influencers. I got into it in my early 20s. I just started my first job in fashion. Everyone was doing a funny fad diet. Clean eating was the the thing at the time. And I thought it would be really clever if I just did what they all did and stopped eating gluten and stopped eating sugar and stopped eating dairy. What was the goal? It's really funny. Looking back now, it seems absolutely mad <laughs> that I would ever want to do this. But I think I felt like I was sort of struggling slightly to feel in control of my life and I was looking for something to focus on, a, a habit, something that would kind of secure my identity as a, a, a young woman in the working world. Mm. And that seemed to be it. It was a, a way of life, really. It's a control thing, mm. right? Absolutely, so, absolutely. And that you're sort of m- mastering the way your body functions. Well, certainly that you're mastering something, that there is, if there's some way you can hack some element of your life uh, that happens every day Mm. and that, you know, you rely on to live, then you're more in control in general. Maybe that was it. So it started out by cutting out various food groups. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I started cutting out various food groups and then I started skipping meals so breakfast I started skipping first and for a long time that was the only meal that I wouldn't have but then because I had only a small pool of ingredients that I could eat it meant that my lunches and my dinners were small and um, didn't really consist of much apart from vegetables and over time uh, it was almost like a domino effect one thing got knocked off the list that I could have and then another thing got locked off the list that I could have and I was latching on to everything that I'd read after a while about ingredients that weren't good for me and and anything that was said to be the slightest bit perhaps bloating or could give me spots or whatever. It just went. It was off the Mm. list. And even some vegetables then would get branded, you know, they'd make Mm. your blood acidic or alcohol or Yeah, well, potatoes were definitely a no-no. My mum used to say I looked at them like they were arsenic. And then sweet potatoes eventually were a no-no. Too sugary. Mm, Too sugary. Uh, Bananas, definitely a no-no, much too sugary. So that happened for a while. And within about three months, I realised that I'm, I'm quite small in constitution anyway. So I lost weight quite quickly. So obviously, if you're not eating a lot of ingredients, then you 
going to lose weight. And at that point, I decided that I needed to probably stop eating in this way because I was shrinking and people were becoming quite worried about me. And I thought, okay, I'll just eat normally again. And when I started to try and eat normally again, I couldn't. I found I became incredibly anxious around food. I wasn't able to eat. I wasn't able to judge what a proper portion was. I wasn't able to judge what elements constitute a proper meal anymore. I mm. didn't even know what I liked and what I didn't like. Mm. And I was almost in this sort of cycle of just, well, malnourishment really, but denying myself of of what my body really needed, which I now know is the hallmarks of anorexia, which, which I was subsequently... subsequently diagnosed with, yes, yeah. and then ended up needing hospital treatment and was very, very sick indeed thankfully got treated quite quickly and ended up in recovery within six months, seven months. But then, you know, after that, it was kind of like a long time before I was really back to normal, really. And my relationship with food was pre-2013. But some people don't recover as as well as as you've you have. Absolutely. So during my recovery, I started a website to support other people with eating disorders and also to, to dispel some of the clean eating myths that were still around everywhere. And I could see so clearly had played a real role in the onset of my illness and others. And I started talking to lots and lots of people in the eating disorder community and the number of young women who came to me saying my problem started when I got into clean eating or I hadn't even thought about dieting until I got into clean eating. The, the role that social media accounts and websites, etc., play in shaping young people's minds has been a topic of conversation this week because the inquest into the death of 14-year-old Molly Russell, mm. who it turned out had been combing through uh, some very sinister websites and content that encouraged, I think, self-harm, mm before she sadly took her own life. Mm. The, the inquest has been, has been delayed, it emerged this week. But hopefully, you know, it we really will examine the role that social media platforms have in policing this kind of content. Mm. And I believe it's the first time that the social media platforms themselves have been called in to yeah. take part in the inquest. But, you know, there is a growing understanding and acceptance of of the kind of broad range, I think, of harm that, that mm. social media and the things that are said on social media can have. And while no one would suggest that, you know, X social media influencer who might have suggested sugar-free recipes mm. was single-handedly responsible for causing eating disorders. Although having said that, there was a, a new eating disorder phrase coined in response to these kinds of influences, eating disorder called orthorexia. Mm, which... Well, the term was actually coined, I think, in the 70s. Oh, right. It was a sort of fringe thing that no one really saw. And then it wasn't until the sort of 2010s that eating disorder professionals started seeing this really significant rise in this specific type of eating disorder, mm. which is basically an unhealthy obsession with healthy eating. But at the same time, eating disorders are very complicated, as you often mention, mm. and the, the, there's a huge number of factors, including genetic predispositions. But if all the right triggers and circumstances are there, it can it can happen, and it happens very commonly. It's I mean, eating disorders are incredibly common, aren't they? Yeah, increasingly so. And, you know, I hear of stories all the time about 
teenagers who didn't ever have a problem with food and then something happens like they're sitting in a class at school and suddenly they're listening to a lesson about calories and how how many calories are in something and all of a sudden the week later they can't stop thinking and worrying about calories and they go on to develop an eating disorder. That doesn't mean that the lesson about calories has given them an eating disorder but you could argue that it may be that they wouldn't have ended up that way if they weren't in that lesson. So, as you said, it's multifactorial. But I don't think you can ignore the role that stuff like this plays. And of course, it should be pointed out that very few people stick to these kinds of diets now or certainly influences. It's really fallen out of fashion. People don't tell you to go sugar, gluten, dairy, etc. There's been a lot of rebranding going on, yeah. Yeah, and some of the real stars of that era have basically disappeared. You know, people with huge book mm. deals and, uh, you know, columns in newspapers and all s- such like just sort of evaporated. Mm. But others of them have gone on to continue to be successful mm. and continue to be in the public eye. And perhaps it's important that they acknowledge, um, mm. if they haven't done so already, that what they'd said to their followers you know, it was potentially not good advice. Mm. I think there is a question about whether people who are positioning themselves as perhaps a kind of public health figure now, to what extent should they be able to completely distance themselves from things that they've said in the past that are incredibly well, damaging? You, I think it's okay to to say, look, I was wrong, mm. I'm I'm sorry, rather than, you know, perhaps trying to claim plaster that, over it and yeah say, plaster oh, over it or deny or ignore i mean i think there also needs to be some responsibility laid at you know the feet of the massive publishers that gave these people platforms without questioning any of the information that were oh, in they the didn't books. give a they don't give a toss monkeys. well exactly you know and if an influencer was to say actually i was given really bad advice but i was young and naive and whatever and there was this whole operation who was supposed to be looking after me and, and have my best interests at heart and clearly didn't I think that people would feel terrible for them and would be very sympathetic. Yeah. Or at least you'd think, well, that's the decent thing to do. Mm. Well, look, I mean, it's not just you that this happened to. And Mm. on the line, we've got someone else who was affected by clean eating. Joining us now is Sophie, who was enthralled by the clean eating gurus back in 2013. And it's had a knock-on effect on her health. Sophie, thanks so much for finding some time to talk to us. Would you start by telling me a little bit about what happened when you first got into clean eating? So I was going through like a really hard time with my GCSEs. I was like one of his like A-star students. There was a lot of pressure on me. I was an absolute perfectionist. So I was really quite stressed. And I think all that happened was I think stress I was experiencing ended up kind of manifesting into an eating disorder and trying to eat perfectly and things like trying to make sure that even though I was kind of like sitting in my room revising all day that I wouldn't get fat or gain weight and things like that and as I started to kind of look online weight loss or whatever and trying to eat healthier I came across the whole clean eating veganism kind of like raw food all vegetables no dairy no gluten sort of way of a lifestyle and I think my whole perfectionistic way manifested into this way of trying to be a perfectionist with food as well so I went from like eating kind of like normally before my GCSE to eating like completely perfectly in my head I guess it wasn't perfectly it was just everything was either a sweet potato or a piece of fruit or a vegetable nothing it was entirely a health food book (laughs) 
And did you find a lot of your recipes on social media then? I found a lot of the kind of like influencers on social media and then I would I would like follow their websites, follow them on Instagram. Then when they release cookbooks, I'd go on and buy their cookbooks. I remember when my mum would be in the supermarket, I'd be in the like section of the supermarket looking through the cookbooks. I'd go to the library and take out all the cookbooks. I had stacks of these clean eating cookbooks in my house that would like pile up over time. And I had just stacks of them everywhere. They were just, it was like my house is a library of clean eating books. Am I right in thinking you were you were subsequently diagnosed with anorexia? Is that right? Yeah, so I was diagnosed with anorexia when I was 15, going into 16. So I think the sort of weight loss I experienced as soon as I kind of started the whole cleaning thing was just so rapid. So I went from being okay, absolutely fine, healthy weight just before the Christmas. So by the time the May, June came alive, I was like life-threateningly underweight and unwell. And, and I honestly thought I was just absolutely fine, peak of health. Mm, gosh, your your parents must have been incredibly worried about you. They were. It was it was a really kind of like scary, frightening time because I think I was in denial because I didn't think I was doing anything wrong. Obviously, my parents had seen the whole weight loss happen, and obviously, my teachers at school had witnessed it. And I was also one of the first people in amongst my friends go through an eating disorder I hadn't seen it before no one around me had because it was sort of before it had become like a thing you know like mental illness wasn't really talked about it wasn't long ago I was in school so no one knew what to do I thought I was doing everything right so it was a real kind of like confusing time to be honest with you and I know you've since gone through recovery uh, from your eating disorder but how are you now, Sophie? How does it kind of, does it still have an impact on your life? I'm okay, but I don't think I'll ever be like 100% comfortable around food or totally over it. I think that what happened was I went through the whole clean eating phase very early before it just became so normal and mainstream. So now I feel like very much absolutely everywhere. So you've got to kind of like always constantly challenge your brain constantly go the other way try not to just go straight back into your old habits there's always something being released that's new and vegan and lower calorie or a healthier version of something mm. and what about physically how's your physical health really bad so I think my mental side is a lot better I can recognize things now when they're not good but physically I think all those years of just cutting things out have caused a lot of damage that I didn't see coming so I think my body feels just like now that it's about 70 when I'm only 23 so obviously now I can see that the veganism clean eating thing did nothing for my health at all. Can I ask what kind of issues you have? So I was diagnosed with osteoporosis earlier this year because I broke a bone in my foot and that was just picked up from an x-ray so my, the bones in my feet were so thin that they could see from just next. I didn't even need a bone scan for them to see that I had osteoporosis. So now I'm dealing with that, which is means that I injure myself through so easily. I didn't realize quite how, I know, I know when they say, you know, if you don't drink milk, you're going to get osteoporosis. I never thought I would. And it kind of creeps up and all of a sudden you are in pain all the time. <laughs> Sophie, I'm so sorry to hear that you've gone through all of this and, and I'm glad that you feel that you're on a road to recovery. 
Some people might say that influencers, you mentioned the role of influencers, some people might say that they they can't be uh, responsible in any way for people who have taken their advice to extremes that have perhaps misinterpreted what they've said. You know, that that isn't their fault. What would you say to that? I think it's actually quite obvious to the influencers as to who's following them. I know from my experience that especially in the kind of social media bubble with eating disorders and the groups I was in at the time where I was very unwell, all they kind of needed to do was click their following button. And we all get notifications when someone new follows us on Instagram just to see the endless eating disorder accounts that are following them, the the evidence that there are girls that are really unwell following them, I think is really plain and clear for them to see. It sounds horrible to say, but I think they sort of be maybe purposefully just being ignorant to it because it's there for them. Sometimes I would scroll through and maybe if I'd follow a new one of these clean eating accounts, all the eating disorder accounts I was following were there, you know, like on top of Instagram, it says followed by when you go to follow someone, their names would be there. So I think they probably know some of the audience that may be following them. Do you think, Sophie, that your eating disorder would have played out differently if it wasn't for clean eating, if clean eating didn't exist? Yeah. I think it would have done. I don't think I would have become as unwell so quickly because all the people who were these like clean eaters online at the time was unwell were just, they were everything I kind of wanted to be. I was a very chubby little thing when I was young and I had spots and I, you know, they were all glowing skin, skinny, healthy, lovely hair. And then they told me they were eating this way. And, you know, I bought it. I was in a position where I did. I think if those people weren't there and their influence wasn't there, that trap wouldn't have been there for me to fall under. I wish there'd been people who were more confidently saying, look, I eat everything and I'm still absolutely the peak of health. But that just wasn't there at the time. The only thing that was, was I'm cutting out this, this and this, and this has made me really healthy and well. Sophie, I can't thank you enough for being so honest about what you've gone through with us today and um, wishing you the best of luck for the future. Thank you. God, that's a very sad story. Stories like that make me so angry. It's the one emotion I have. Sadness, of course, but fury. Really interesting point that that if you're a social media influencer that you do know who's following you. Absolutely. And I must say that the line between the eating disorder community and the wellness community is incredibly blurred. And when I was first blogging about eating disorders, I was invited to loads of wellness, healthy eating events. People didn't seem to really understand what I stood for and I'd just get lumped in with all of the sort of healthy eating crowd. And I went through a phase of going to the events and you could tell there was a significant proportion of the audience, if it was a talk or just the kind of people attending who were very unwell and incredibly thin. Some of them I actually ended up talking to and and it all comes out that they've been dealing with an eating disorder. So, yeah, I think that it's naive of influencers to think that a large proportion of their following do not have some sort of problem with food. Well, next on the line, we've got someone who has professional view of the issue. Joining us now is Ursula Philpot, who is a consultant dietitian and is a lecturer in nutrition and dietetics at Leeds Beckett University. 
thanks very much for your time this afternoon. We're talking about clean eating and the impact that the trend has had on sort of generation of, of young, mainly women. I wonder if this is something that you have seen the impact of in your clinic with patients. Yeah, absolutely. It is mainly young women, although it's some young men. And it starts very young. You know, it starts at teenage years, you know, looking on social media. I'll give you, give you a really good example when schools are doing a kind of health and sports week. And some schools will deliver that with, you know, very careful messages. Other schools, because they're not trained, may deliver it in a, in a more clunky way. You know, talking about things like, you know, how many calories are in so many foods and well, how many miles you'd need to run to burn it off or how, you know, how some foods are good and some foods are bad, those kind of things, which is the sort of thing we sometimes see on social media posts as well. And what we tend to see are certain schools, particularly those with high achieving young women who are perfectionist driven, who are competitive and who like to get things right. We see that those messages get internalized very, very quickly. And then we see a bumper crop of eating disorders coming through to services sort of six to nine months later. And that's reflected in the adults as well. You know, when we, the, the starting point for treatment for eating disorders is always why food? Why now? You know, why did you become unwell? And most people's stories talk about exposure to social media, they talk about exposure to food messages. At that time, they felt not good about themselves, they felt quite vulnerable. You know, they had some of the, the vulnerability factors there around being a bit perfectionist, you know, wanting to get things right. And suddenly, a, you know, a dieting culture where there is certain rules to follow becomes very attractive. Mm. Did you hear patients talking about things like going gluten free and going refined sugar yeah. free? And... Yeah, what, what we see generally is what we would call an increasing pattern of restriction. So patients may start with going vegetarian or, you know, taking out some sugary foods from their diet. And then, you know, a few months later, they may tighten that up to going organic or they may go gluten free or they may switch to non-dairy milks. And so you see this increasing pattern of restriction in, in people that are vulnerable. And when they get to a certain point of restriction, of course, their calorie intake drops. And then the, the adverse effect of less calories and less nutrition to the brain is that the brain becomes more rigid and more detail focused. And of course, that's when people get really stuck with it because they get into the minute rules around eating and struggle to get out of that. And what role do influencers have in this? Because obviously eating disorders have been around for a very long time. But was there something new that you saw with the, with the advent of, say, clean eating type influencers? Yeah, for definite. Um, you know, if you think about all the books on the shelves about going sugar free, you know, about cutting this out of your diet or cutting other things out of your diet, there was definitely more people coming through talking about clean eating and talking about food being bad for them or, you know, sugar being really evil, etc. So there was definitely strands of that coming through, but it does change slightly with whatever's at the moment, really. So at the moment, I would say clean eating and veganism, you know, and veganism can be a positive thing for some people who are well and manage it well. But for people that are vulnerable, you know, that level of restriction can seem to really trip them into disordered eating if they're not careful. Some people might say that, you know, you wouldn't criticise Mary Berry for promoting delicious cakes although we know that if you eat too many cakes that you're more at risk of becoming obese and then developing all kinds of illnesses so equally why should you criticize 
say, a vegan, gluten-free, sugar-free diet influencer just because a few people uh, might go to extremes in following their advice too. Yeah, yeah, I, I understand your point. But I would say that we know lots about why eating disorders develop. We had a 40% increase in eating disorders referrals during lockdown, for example, when people were spending more time on the phone and feeling out of control. You know, people who are vulnerable and anxious and, you know, have that background of anxiety or, or are drawn to rule-based ways of living are very drawn to a lifestyle where there is a set of rules attached. So Mary Berry might be showing you cakes, but there's no rules attached to that. It doesn't say how many cakes to eat or how often. Whereas what, what bothers me, I suppose, about um, some of the social media posts are they come attached with a bunch of rules. And then those vulnerable adults and vulnerable young people internalize those rules. And that's where we then become less flexible. And when they become less flexible and, and less nourished, the, the effect of the starvation on the brain is that the brain becomes more rigid and rule bound. And then that's when they start to segue into eating disorders. Mm. Ursula, what would you like to see influencers do or say that you think would make a positive difference in this space? Yeah, it would be about not making things black and white, not making things rigid, not, you know, not being inflexible, you know, talking generally and generally healthy. You know, it, some people have really changed in a really positive way around this. One example I can think of off the top of my head is Joe Wicks. You know, he, his new books are all about family cooking and all about mental health and not about stopping this, that or the other. You know, that's been a really positive move in my view. And it means I could now access his materials, you know, without being bothered by there being a bunch of rules there. You know, his messages are about well-being, holistic well-being. And part of that is being able to be flexible, able to enjoy food, you know, to sure, get your nutrients in there. And that's obviously really important from a dietetic perspective. But it's the rigidity that comes with some of those uh, messages. And it's the black and white. You know, nutrition is not simple. You may think it's simple, but actually, you know, the more you study nutrition, the more you find out it isn't simple. The messages aren't as simple as that. You know, there are always exceptions to rules. You know, if we look at epidemiology, if we look at eating disorders worldwide, you know, it's westernized countries who have the eating disorders. It's not countries who have to work hard for their food, who have less food available, but actually, you know, eat in traditional ways. So it, it does, it's not all about cutting out things. It's about eating for balance, really. And I suppose it's, it's the black and white messages and the rigidity that some people sell things. And they try and simplify the science when actually it's not simple. Do you think that influencers who've been called out for causing or giving bad advice that may, may have caused some eating disorders, do you think that they uh, should apologise? Yeah, I guess they should. <laughs> You know, I, I'm not one of those people that's been affected, but certainly plenty of my patients have been and they are quite mad. You know, some of them are quite cross at the books they bought or the blogs they read or the people they followed on Instagram. What happens is they end up ditching all of those, all of those people they follow and they start following scientists or experts in sports and health fitness who, who you know, have a really good reputation in terms of the science that they sell. And so, yeah, I, I think they feel aggrieved and they feel angry that, those messages were so readily available to them. And that's worse when it's a child, you know, when it's when it's an adolescent and not an adult. Absolutely. Well, Ursula, I've been sitting here nodding along to everything you've been saying. Thank you so much for joining us today. No problem. Okay, thank you. I thought what she said last was interesting. You know, we've been talking about this subject since we've started working together, yeah. I think. And it never fails to make me mad. You know, I hate to think of what people have 
been through as a result of being essentially misled. And I guess if you if you mislead someone by accident through mm. sheer stupidity, then it would be understandable if you explained yourself. Mm. Otherwise, willfully saying that you had no idea, you have no idea, this is not something you're aware of, it's like hitting someone without looking and expecting it not to hurt. I think the problem with eating disorders is that it's a very difficult thing, phenomenon, to understand unless you have either been there yourself or had someone incredibly close to you who is there, mm. has been there. And the sort of toll on the rest of the inner circle of that person is absolutely life-destroying. And I can sort of understand why you would maybe not get it. Um, mm. Or feel defensive. Or feel defensive or feel like it's a mental illness that, you know, is very complicated. And of course, it can't be as simple as mm. I've put a message out there and then you've gone and got an illness. But mm. the one thing that will never leave me was the shock of the fact that this happened to me because I was so positive about food for all of my life. I never had a problem with eating. I never had a problem with dieting. I never worried about my weight. And of course, there were lots of things going on in my life at the time. But the fact was, those messages were there very readily available for me to soak up. And if they hadn't have been there, I wouldn't have even known where to start. So I'm not saying that it wouldn't have happened. But if it can happen to me, I feel it can happen to anyone. And that's why I'm so passionate about it, I guess. Well, you can read all about this and a lot more in this weekend's The Mail on Sunday, which you can consume in newspaper format on the Mail app or on mailplus.co.uk. We'll be back with another topic on Medical Minefield next week. See you then. Goodbye.